Tonight we continue with the Passion of Our Lord account drawn from the four Gospels, and tonight we specifically focus on the palace of the high priest. Those who had arrested Jesus brought him to the high priest's house, where the scribes and the elders were assembled. Peter followed him afar off, and so did another disciple. That disciple was known to the high priest, and he went in with Jesus into the palace of the high priest. But Peter stood outside the door. So that other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out, and he spoke to the doorkeeper and brought Peter in. He went in and sat with the servants to see the end. He was warming himself at the fire that they had kindled in the middle of the courtyard. Meanwhile, the chief priests and the whole council were seeking evidence that might make the cause for a death sentence, but they could not find any. Many bore false witness against Jesus, but their statements did not agree. Two stepped forward and said, We heard him say, I shall destroy this temple made with hands, and after the beginning of the third day, I will build it again, but not made this time with hands. But even on this point, their evidence did not agree. Then the high priest stood up, moved to the center, and put this question to Jesus. Do you have no answer? What is this evidence they have given against you? But Jesus was silent and gave no answer. Again, the high priest put a question to him and said, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. You will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of God's power and coming with the clouds of heaven. The high priest tore his garments and said, Do we still need any witnesses? You have heard this blasphemy. What is your opinion? And they all declared that he was liable for death. Then some of them began to spit on him. They blindfolded him. They struck him. And they said to him, Prophesy to us, O Christ, who is it that struck you? And the guards beat him as they took him away. Meanwhile, Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, and one of the maidservants of the high priest came and saw Peter warming himself. She looked at him closely as he sat in the light of the fire, and she said, You also were along with that man from Nazareth, that Jesus. And Peter denied it and said, I do not know what you mean. And he went out to the forecourt. Another maidservant saw him there and said to those who were standing around, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And Peter denied it again with an oath, I do not know that man. And a little later, those standing around said to Peter, Surely you are one of them. You are a Galilean. Your accent gives you away. Peter took an oath, calling down a curse upon himself. I do not know the man. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the cock crowed a second time, and the Lord turned and he looked at Peter. And then Peter remembered that Jesus had said to him, Before the cock crows twice, you will deny me three times. And Peter broke down, and he went out and wept bitterly. As soon as it was morning, the chief priests and the elders and the scribes held the court session with all the Sanhedrin. Then they bound him and led him away, and they turned him over to Pilate. Then Judas, who had betrayed him when he saw that he was condemned, was sorry 
and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned, I have betrayed innocent blood. And they said, well, what is that to us? This is, that is your affair. And Judas threw down the pieces of silver in the temple, and he departed, and he went and hanged himself. The chief priest took the silver pieces and said, it is not lawful to put them into the treasury because it is the price of blood. And they took counsel and bought with them the potter's field to bury strangers in. And that is why to this day that field has been called the field of blood. In this way was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, They took the thirty pieces of silver, the price of him on whom a price had been set by the children of Israel, and they gave them for the potter's field. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Well, grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, the news is filled with heartbreaking stories. On any given day, we hear of tragedies, like the Boeing 737 that crashed in China earlier this week, killing 132 passengers and crew. The severe tornado in the southern states that has wiped out in a matter of seconds a lifetime of effort by people. In addition, we hear of young girls being kidnapped and sold into the sex trade. We know of infants dying while elderly people linger in homes unaware of what day it is. We read of reports of accidents happening where maybe three people were involved in a car accident. Two people survive while one passenger dies. In Jesus' day, there were catastrophes too. Listen to Luke chapter 13, verse 1 through 5, the gospel lesson from this past Sunday. There were some present in that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans? because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. When faced with disasters like those listed above, we have questions, don't we? And we want answers. One question that often comes to our mind is, if God is the Lord of all creation, then why does he not intervene and stop these evil acts from happening? Quite frankly, there are no satisfying answers to these queries, and especially to this question. Clichés and pious platitudes, no, they don't heal or ease the pain. When there is silence from heaven with no answers forthcoming, we may find ourselves jumping to conclusions, making assumptions. And this is dangerous. It's dangerous to our relationship with the Lord. One such erroneous conclusion seems to be lurking in the minds of Jesus' disciples. 
based on Jesus' question to his disciples, it appears that they have concluded that the Galileans who were killed in Pilate's bloody massacre and the 18 people who died when the tower fell upon them were somehow worse sinners than other people. We're prone to forming similar type of conclusions. Remember the story of Job in the Old Testament. His story is one of tragedy after tragedy after tragedy. And Job's friends, Bildad, Zophar, and Eliphaz, think that they're doing Job a favor by coming to his home and sitting down with him, trying to help him to identify the cause of his misfortunes. And they speculate. They speculate that Job is being punished by God for some unrepentant sin that he has committed. They suggest that his children died because of a sin that they had committed. God's evaluation of their theological expertise is not flattering. God says of these three so-called friends of Job, My anger burns against you and against your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right. And even Job gets exasperated with his friends and knows that they're filled with a lot of hot air. For he says to them, I've heard many such things. Miserable comforters you are all. Shall windy words have an end? And as these miserable, misguided comforters spout forth their misguided conclusions, their speculations, Job experiences doubt, anger, and he even begins to question the ways of God. One theologian commenting on the book of Job says, In effect, the book of Job offers us a choice. Will we choose to respond to life's trials and pains as Job's wife recommended? Are you still holding on to your integrity? Curse God and die. That's what his wife, Job's wife, said to him. And that's certainly one thing we can do, isn't it? We can curse God and die. Or will we follow Job's example and proclaim, though he slay me, yet will I hope in him? Well, the latter option is what Job chooses. He places his hope in the Lord and and he trusts that the Lord will, will bless him in some way, whatever that might be, even in the midst of his trials and tragedies, even in the midst of his darkness. And ultimately, Job concludes that he needs to remain silent before the Lord and simply trust in his Redeemer. Job learns that vindication does not come in this life, but in the next. For as Job proclaims, I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will stand upon the earth, and after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another. Oh, how my heart yearns within me. Now certainly there are times when a person experiences the negative consequences of their sinful behavior. There often is a cause and effect relationship when we trespass God's will. A chronic alcoholic may die of liver failure. A drug addict may overdose. A sexually promiscuous person may find themselves contracting, contracting an STD. 
A gossiper will struggle to have healthy relationships, and attending a heterodox church will result in a person building their life on a feeble spiritual foundation. There are often consequences to our choices and actions, for sure. But when a person's home burns down or a child, a child dies of cancer or a person is maimed by a workplace accident or some other kind of unspecified tragedy, we should not infer that they or their loved ones are being punished because they're more sinful than other people or that they have some unconfessed sin for which God is punishing them. Jesus plainly says, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans? because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. The truth is, is that we live in a world cursed by sin. And sadly, one of the consequences of this curse is that all people, including Christians, are subject to the violent forces of nature and to the evilness of man and to the plague of death. The world in which we live is not a world of vindication. The good may die young, and the evil, well, they may prosper. No retribution or vindication, whatever you want to call it, will be carried out in another world, a world where Christ's disciples will experience eternal peace and joy, while the wicked, the evil, will perish eternally. A preferable question to ask when faced with tragedy is, what does this particular occurrence impel me to do? Will I follow Job's wife's advice and curse God and die? Or will I use it as an occasion to repent of my sin, as Jesus exhorts us to do, and place my hope in a merciful Lord? pastor friend of mine writes, and I quote, Human reason wants to see, but it cannot see the ways of God. Faith does not see, it believes. It walks blindfolded into the darkness, only following the word of God. Just as a frightened child follows the voice of a parent in the darkness, we can only wait upon the word of the Lord. Human reason battles and rages against this listening to the word, How foolish you are to walk into the darkness of faith. Open your eyes or you will stumble and fall. The Lord promises to keep our feet from stumbling, even though and especially because we cannot see. We can only believe. That battle will rage between faith and reason until we draw our last breath. So do not despair in the battle. The fog of war is quite normal. We have something better than seeing. We have the voice of the Savior. Listen for the voice of the Savior. Listen to the voice of our Savior. Our Savior speaks to us in his word. He does not remain silent. He speaks to us in passages like Psalm 23, Lamentations 3. He speaks to us in a whole host of laments in the Psalms. He speaks to us of the assurances of victory in Romans 8, And he has a litany, the scriptures are filled with a litany of comforting scriptures about the promise of heaven and eternal life to all who believe in Christ as their Savior. And as we experience the calamities and woes of life, 
our Lord invites us to snuggle closer to him. To snuggle in close to him for strength and support like a terrified child snuggles up to their mom or their dad. And how might we snuggle up close to our Heavenly Father, to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, so that we might be held in the strong and loving arms of our God? Well, of course, through prayer, talking with him on a regular basis, by reading the scriptures so that he might talk back to us, using the Lord's sup, using the Lord's sacraments, remembering that we're a baptized child of God, coming to the Lord's table and receiving the assurance of God's forgiveness in Christ Jesus, by turning to our Christian friends for support. And this is not something that we're to put off, but it's something we're to do today. To snuggle up God to God each and every day to prepare for the heartache that will surely come. Bill Pinnell gives some excellent advice for how we can better prepare ourselves to handle tragedy. And we're all going to have tragedy in our life. He says, if you've made a habit of communing with God when the sun is shining, you'll find it much easier to sing in the rain. When people ask And we ourselves wonder, how could a good God allow such a thing? We might best respond, I wish I knew. I wish I knew. But I don't really have an answer for you why this tragedy happened to you or your loved one or whoever it might be. Just wish I knew. But after a pause to grieve or to sigh, or to sob with the person who asked that question of you, we can then turn to the sacred pages of God's word, and we can listen. We can listen to the voice of the Savior. In his book, Questioning Evangelism, Randy Newman shares a story involving the revered evangelist, Billy Graham. Newman writes, we would do well to follow Billy Graham's example When he spoke to the grieving families after the Oklahoma City bombing, he found that the elusive balance between the known and the unknown. After comforting people with the assurance of God's knowledge and power and care, he plainly answered the ultimate why question with these three great words. I don't know. I don't know. But then he added, times like this will do one of two things. They will either make us hard and bitter and angry at God or they'll make us tender and they'll open and help us to reach out in trust and faith. I pray that you will not let bitterness and poison creep into your souls but that you'll turn in faith and trust in God even if we cannot understand. It is better to face something like this with God than without him. You see, that's the insidious nature of tragedy. It can turn us away from God. It can turn us away from his love and his compassion. The very things that we need the most when the pain and the sorrow is so overwhelming and a sense of hopelessness envelops us like thick fog. It's at times like that when we need the light of Jesus Christ to dispel that fog so that we can see plainly 
the love of our Lord and Savior Jesus. Now, personally speaking, and I'm sure that you will agree, if I have to experience and endure such things, I'd rather go through this tragedy with Christ than without him. Wouldn't you? For he is the warrior who battled and defeated Satan. He is the innocent one who was the object of man's evil intent, and he overcame their evil. He is the one who embraced unjust suffering, and he endured it for your sake and mine. He is the one who experienced death, and he conquered it once and for all. Yes, in Jesus' tragic suffering and death, we see the love that God has for us, even as we endure the deepest and the darkest woes of life. In his resurrection, we have a light that shines as we endure this darkness, as we live in this darkness. His light continues to provide hope that something is better, something is eternal, something awaits us at the end of our life. And even as we go through that darkness, that light of Christ never goes out. He continues to shine even when we fail to see it. For he promises to be with us now and forever. And so as we center our faith on Jesus, he comforts us, he heals us, he awakens hope, and he grants us his peace. So let's do what is best to do, especially amidst crisis and our dark days. Or let's even prepare ourselves for those days, for they will surely come. And what is best for us to do but to listen to the voice of our Savior? Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I place my hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning, more than watchmen wait for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all of his iniquities. And friends, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. For in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself that you may be where I am and you know the way to where I'm going. And it is written, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no heart of man has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. And who, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all of these things, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us 
from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So our Lord says to us this night, Come to me, all you who are labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and I promise you, you will find rest for your souls. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all our understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.